Turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 3. Yeah, I was commenting to Mike about his uh, cut. I don't seem to be able to uh, work on anything around the house without cutting the top of my head. That, that's, uh, that was from uh, climbing out the window of the house with a chainsaw in my hand, but go figure. <laughs> Happens all the time, right? We started chapter 3 last week, and if you would, I'm going to start at verse 1, and we'll get a running start into it and read what we did last week. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. And we spent most of our time last week on verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. The essence of walking the path of wisdom is acknowledging the fact that God is right. It is not to say that we don't use our minds. We use our minds to understand the ways of God. But if you begin with the false premise, if you begin with something other than the knowledge of God, you will end up in the wrong place. You can take an intelligent person and start with the presuppositions of God and end up with wisdom. You can take an intelligent person, take the presuppositions of the world, and end up who knows where. And you can read books and papers and magazines and newspapers, and you can see where that ends. There is this desire to do what we want to do. And we are called to not be wise in our own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. So we pick up today's lesson in verse uh, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. We're talking about the path of wisdom. We spent a lot of time talking about the benefits of the path of wisdom, and we will talk about some more of those today. But we also talk about what it means to walk down that path. And we see these nuggets along the way of how we are to live our lives. And one of the things we will see throughout the book of Proverbs is that an indicator of how our life is going is how we use and what we do with our wealth. Money is not some abstract thing that has no relationship to your spiritual life. You think, wait. Money's a material thing. Um, Spiritual things are spiritual things. There's no connection between the two. Well, the scripture recognizes our uh, propensity to fixate on the things of this world. Our desire to have the things of this world. The desire to be visible to those around us by what we possess. 
And in order for us to walk the path of wisdom, to live a spiritual life, we need to take that desire and we need to put it in our pro- its proper place. And one of the ways we do that is to ensure that our wealth is dedicated to God. And one of the ways we do that is by giving some of it back to God. Throughout the Old Testament, you see it over and over again. This is the portion that belongs to God. You have sheep, the first baby belongs to God. You have this, the grain, this belongs to God. It is an acknowledgement that everything that we have comes from God. All of our material blessings, our family, our relationships, everything we have belongs to God. And if we don't take concrete steps to demonstrate that, not to other people, not to those around us, if we, de- we need to demonstrate it to ourselves that we acknowledge, that we recognize that God is truly the owner of that wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crop. Now let's look at those two individually. Honor the Lord with your wealth. One of the ways we do that is by giving the first fruits of our productive life. But the goal is not to give 10% 10% or 75 or whatever number you want to pick and say, ah, we've done it, the rest of it's mine. The goal is to honor God with all of our wealth. And I might add, you can broaden this, our goal is to honor God with every aspect of our lives. It's just that the writers of the scripture, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, recognize that your heart is going to follow your money and vice versa. We can sit here and have a long argument about which comes first. Does your heart follow your money or does your money follow your heart? And the answer is yes. And I don't know which one comes first. On any given day, I don't know which one. But they follow each other. Where we commit our wealth where we give our productive energy and what it produces demonstrates to us where our priorities are. To say that you honor God and then hoard that which God has given you is to lie to God. Honor the Lord, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. We have had a discussion, actually each of the last two weeks, and one of these days I'm going to finish the discussion, so I won't have to do it again, okay? But I keep doing it over and over again. Throughout the book of Proverbs, we're going to see this pattern. Follow the path of wisdom and good things are going to happen. Follow the path of foolishness 
and bad things are going to happen. And it's very clear you should follow the ways of God. But we also see that you and I, when we judge by the values of this world, define good in a way that is not necessarily in line with the way the Bible describes good. We describe good like every other 21st century American. You know, more money, no problems, a life of ease, a life of being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's how we describe the good life. God describes the good life as that life which is blessed. And we're going to see this in just a moment. A life that is blessed by God. Now, that may be being rich, like Abraham was. That may mean being thrown into prison regularly, like Paul was, who we spent the last several months doing. Either one is the blessed life. Now, an outside observer who is not in tune with the things of God will look at that and go, God really loved Abraham, and he really hated this guy named Paul which was the problem that the church at Corinth had where they thought Paul must be despised by God because he certainly wasn't being blessed by God because they were judging by the standards of this world. So we recognize that God's blessing may take many different forms. Now, having said all of that, having said all of that, I do believe that following the precepts of the book of Proverbs will make your life better. That it will, in fact, produce a more peaceful life, as we will see in a moment. A life where you can go to bed and not worry about the world collapsing around you. A life where you can worry, where you don't have to worry about being ensnared by all the traps that the devil is setting for you. If you keep your mind focused on following the ways of God, it is, in fact, better. So the fact that God sometimes brings difficult times into the lives of his followers doesn't remove the fact that it is always better to do things God's way. The blessings will come when you're on the right path. Now, here's the nasty subject. We have this mistaken belief, I believe it's mistaken, that since we live in a day of grace, I can live my life any way I want to, and I will re still receive the full blessings of God. I don't really see that in the scriptures. We receive forgiveness of our sins by God's grace. We receive that which we don't deserve by God's grace and mercy. We are instructed on how to live our lives by God's grace and mercy. Every day of our lives, we stand in need of God's grace and God's mercy. But that doesn't mean we can live a life of a fool and get the blessings of those who follow the path of wisdom. 
God is calling us to walk the path of wisdom. And he promises blessings to those who follow that path. And there are bad things that happen for those who don't. Let's keep reading. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. We had a discussion two or three weeks ago about God's rebuke. Basically, it's I'm walking down the path this way and God comes up and says, no, you're going the wrong path way. You need to be going that way instead. You need to change directions. Why is it that we would despise God's rebuke? Because we want it our way. We're quite content going the way we're going. And God comes up, whacks us up the side of the head and says, no, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. Change direction. Now, we had a long discussion of this, but I just want to remind us of one aspect of it. How does God rebuke us today? They got real quiet. A whole lot of ways. Name one. Health? Circumstances? Ways that get our attention? Consequences of our action? Pardon? Favor? Is that what you said? Oh. Still small voice? And big tornadoes? Pick one. He uses people. He uses events. He might use bad people. And that really bugs us. You know, if Billy Graham came up to me and said, Kyle, you're going the wrong way, I might go, yes, sir. And I might listen to him. But, you know, if some pagan from down the street comes over and says, you jerk, you're going the wrong way, what is my response? Well, you jerk back. You know, whack. Get out of my yard. What we fail to realize is that God speaks through us through all the varieties of circumstances in life. And we have a desire to reject and despise that sometimes because we don't like the messenger. God is using my children to teach me something and my pride pops up and says who are my children to try to teach me anything I should be teaching them God can use anything to get us back on the right path if we are willing to listen to his rebuke but the reality is we're not and to not listen to it is not a neutral position. It is to despise the rebuke of God. 
But the neat part is the second part of this. He does it because he loves us. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father, the son he delights in. I've told you before, I've told my children on numerous occasions, you know, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't be doing this. You would be out of here. I mean, really. We work at molding the lives of our children because we love our children. Grandchildren, great-grandchildren, Whatever it is, whoever it is, we do it out of love. God rebukes and disciplines us because he loves us. So when the rebuke comes and our pride says, no, I don't want that, go away, our mind that has studied the scripture should say, This is coming from a loving God. What is it that he's trying to teach me in this situation? Takes a long time. I'll let you know if I ever learn it. (laughs) Which brings us to the next section. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Once again... The author returns to the discussion of the blessings associated with following wisdom. The question is this. Why don't we believe this? Nothing you desire, nothing you desire can compete with wisdom. Why is it that we desire so many things that are contrary to wisdom itself. Why is it that we desire other things? Ultimately, it comes down to a discussion of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for those who come to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him that he is a rewarder of those who follow his ways, that it is better to always do things God's way. Huh. In order for us to fully appreciate and understand and desire to seek after wisdom, We have to have the faith that says doing things God's way is better than doing things the world's way. And as I said last week, we have this um, tendency to take the word of God and the things of this world and put them in the blender and mix them up. And that's what we want to follow. 
Sure, I want to follow after wisdom, but I want to follow after the things of this world too. Now, we don't come out and say that as good Christians in 21st century America. We just kind of sort of maybe live our lives as if that's what we're doing. We need to pray to God to give us the faith so that we will understand that seeking wisdom, seeking the knowledge of God, is the highest good. It is, in fact, better than wealth. It is, in fact, better than you fill in the blank with whatever it is that you personally desire more. I've got my list, but I'm not going to tell it to you because then I'd be in trouble. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. As we saw in chapter 2, the finding wisdom is kind of this almost a paradox. Wisdom in chapter 1 is portray, or chapter 2 is portrayed as standing there yelling, you know, come find me. Yet we have to seek after it. It wants to be found, but it is only found by those who desire to find it. We have to exert effort to find it. The promise of the scripture, though, is that if we do exert the effort, we will find wisdom. It is a promise given to us. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Anybody off the top of your head know the return on gold in the last three years? Uh, it's been pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> it's been like real good. Does that matter? Does, is this verse only true? When the return on gold is 1% a year, and it's not true if the return of gold is 20% a year? Is this only true in a bad economy? Wait, or is it only good in a good economy? Because in a good economy, the value of gold goes down. Is it only true when the circumstances are a certain way, or is it, as the Word of God, always true? It is always true that having wisdom is better than the return on gold. I believe the answer is yes. Irregardless of what gold is giving you. Yes. <laughs> She's... She says that when things get real bad, gold is not very good because you can't eat it. <laughs> yes. Why is wisdom described in the feminine? I, I could get into all kinds of trouble with that. But I don't think I will. I don't know. It's too easy. Huh? Why, why are all sailing ships named after women? I don't know. I don't know. God chose to do it that way. How about that? 
Well, there's no Greek in the Old Testament, so. <laughs> right. Back in chapter 2, it's, it is portrayed as a woman standing in the street yelling, you know, come find me. To me, it is interesting, and I don't want to draw any universal principles out of this, but it is interesting that there's a contrast, particularly in the first six or seven chapters of the book of Proverbs. We have wisdom. Okay, once again, the book of Proverbs is instructions from a father to his son, right? So we have wisdom as the virtuous woman standing over here calling out for the young man to come. We've also already met, and we'll meet her even again in chapters 5 and 6, the adulterous woman who is standing over here leading, her, leading him astray. So we see this contrast between wisdom and sin both vying for the attention of the young man that is being instructed here. So, you know, I, I kind of have this envision that this contrast was set up in order for us to see the, the war going on for the young man. But that is speculation on my part. Okay? <sighs> Let's keep going before I lose it. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. I have no idea what the value of rubies are these days. Um, I do know you can make them. Did you all know that? I don't know. I don't buy jewels. I bought one diamond in my life, and she has it. <laughs> but once again, you see the picture what is it that you desire? Fill in the blank. Wisdom is more valuable than that. Now, we did talk about this several weeks ago, and I do want to just remind us, wisdom and the knowledge of God are intertwined in the book of Proverbs. And this isn't some abstract, oh, I've read a good textbook on it kind of wisdom. This is wisdom and the knowledge of God that produces the fear of God, that produces a life that is led to the glory of God. This isn't some abstract intellectual exercise that we're dealing with here. There is an intellectual part of it. There is knowledge of God. There is understanding. There is searching after understanding. But it is, a, it is driven by a heart that desires to know God, not just one that can win arguments with his neighbor down the street. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. There's the contrast. Go after wisdom, and good things will follow. Verse 19. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the depths were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. By wisdom... The Lord laid the earth's foundation. 
Why is this important to us? Well, first off, who was with God building the, when the earth was created? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything was created by the Word, which we know from the book of John is Christ. We also know from the book of 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that Jesus is the wisdom of God. So what we have here is a picture of Christ. Christ and God being present at the creation. But to me there's something else that's interesting here. By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundation. By understanding he set the heavens in place. Wisdom and understanding are embedded in the very fabric of the universe. Why is that important? It's important because God is going to call you to walk down a particular path. And that path that God wants you to walk down corresponds to the way the world works. It isn't some alien thing to the world. It corresponds to the way the world and the universe were put together. If I have some horribly complicated machine, and I am expected to maintain this horribly complicated machine, it would certainly help me and behoove me if the creator of that machine told me what the purpose of that machine was, how the thing was put together, why it does what it does, and how to maintain it. Instead of me randomly whacking on pieces of it with a large hammer, which would be my natural male tendency. We sometimes think, well, what we really sometimes think is that God doesn't really understand. You know, we're in a particular situation. We have some vague idea that God is telling me to do something, and to us it makes no sense. You know, somebody has really irritated us, really, really ticked us off. We are so mad we could pick your favorite metaphor. And somewhere we have this vague idea that God told us to love our enemies. But you know, God, in this particular situation, that makes no sense at all because you don't understand what a jerk this person really is. They really did something bad. They talked bad about me. God, you don't understand. You don't understand, God, how the world really works. Let me tell you. And God says, no, I've got a path of wisdom. The path of wisdom was present when I created the world. The world works this way. But we have the whole world telling us, no, the world works a different way. Go down this path. Seek after your own self-interest. Do what you think is right in your own eyes all the time. Look out for number one. That's the way the world works. And if you don't do that, you will be 
taken advantage of. You will be abused. You will be used. Everybody will take everything from you. You'll have a miserable life. Nobody will listen to you, and your kids will hate you. That's what the world will tell us. So, who created the world? God or the world? Did God build wisdom into the fabric of the universe? Or is it something that is alien to the way the world works? And the answer is, well, we know the answer. We just don't believe the answer. Why? Without faith it is impossible to please God, for those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. We sometimes believe, not always, we sometimes believe that doing it the world's way is better than the return on gold. It's better than rubies. It's better than anything we... And God says no. No. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the deeps, depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. My son, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discernment. What does the word preserve mean in this case? How do you preserve sound judgment? I know how you preserve fruits and vegetables, I guess. How do you <laughs> store it in your mind? Somebody else? Teach it to your children? Don't lose sight of it. That's an interesting idea. Because, you know, the book of Hebrews has a little passage in there. It talks about, you know, some of these truths are hard, therefore the mature. And it talks about, you know, he's kind of chastising them. You should be eating uh, solid food, but you're still, you know, dealing with the elementary truths, the milk. These truths are for the mature. The mature are those who, by constant effort, have learned to distinguish right from wrong. That's what discernment is. Distinguishing, making a difference between that which is right and that which is wrong. Well, that sounds easy enough. Don't we want to do that all the time? No. What are the standards that we use to judge actions, activities, events? Well, uh, what works to my advantage, okay? Uh, what brings me ease and happiness? Uh, what helps me and mine and those around me? What helps my group? And we have all of these lists of criteria that we use for judging events and people. And as we cloud up the issue, as we start adding all of these other criteria, all of a sudden, what should be the criteria, what does God want and what does God not want, 
that criteria starts getting hidden. Now, we may take that criteria and use it kind of as a whitewash paint to cover up what we really desire. And what we do is we begin to get into the habit of making decisions not on the basis of what is wise and what is foolish, what is right and what is wrong, but we make decisions on a whole variety of different nebulous uh, what's in it for me. And all of a sudden, discernment is no longer preserved. It just kind of keeps getting pushed to the bottom of the pile. And pretty soon, we're making all of our decisions just like the world is making decisions. When he uses the word preserve, it implies an active action on our part. We have to work at it. We have to work at seeing the world through God's eyes. Just take the life of Christ, okay? Follow, read the life of Christ and see who he interacts with and how he interacts with them. You have this adulterous woman and Christ is nice to her. You have these religious officials and he essentially tells them to go you know where. How does Christ judge people, events, and situations? And how does that align with the way that we judge events, people, and situations? The implication is, is that you have to work at it. The mature are those who through constant practice have learned to distinguish right from wrong. And guess who gets to determine what right and wrong is? Oh, by wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By wisdom, God did this. God gets to choose. But what if that doesn't mesh with what my neighbor says? Be nice to your neighbor, but your neighbor's wrong. We have got to know the word. Very good. When we talk about pursuing wisdom, looking for it, that can take a lot of different forms. We can study nature and we'll get an idea. We can look at people and we can get an idea. But all of that can be clouded by our sin nature. Ultimately, what we have to do is get back to this, the Word of God, prayer that God would illuminate this in our lives, and then when I'm looking at nature, then when I'm looking at people, I can begin to see things the way God would have us to see them. And it's not just me making it up in my head. Ultimately... Ultimately, the knowledge of God comes from understanding the Word of God. Wisdom comes from the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God produces the fear of 
God, which drives us to shun evil and do that which is right. My son, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. It's like if we don't keep an eye on them, they'll wander off. No. It's like if we don't keep our eye on them, we'll wander off. We're the ones that are going to wander off. They're going to be exactly where we left them. Okay? But we're like children. And we get distracted by so many things. I mean, oh, wait, there's a balloon. And off we go. And God says, wait a minute, you're supposed to be over here. Wait a minute, you're not supposed to run into that street in front of that truck that's coming down the street at 70 miles an hour. But wait, there was a balloon. So? We are to keep our eyes focused. Not because it's going to run away, but because we will wander away. My son, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. All of these blessings are attached to us keeping discernment and sound judgment in mind at all times. And as soon as we turn our back on that, these things go away. Then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. What did we say up here? In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. The idea is that I'm not encumbered by all these bad decisions, these stumbling blocks that I have put up in my way, in my desire to do things my own way, all I've done is made the path rocky and unstable. But when I discern things, when I have sound judgment, then my path is easier. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Won't I miss all the world has to offer? Well, you'll miss some of it. I think that's the point. The world has a whole lot to offer. A lot of it is really bad. A lot of it's not necessarily really bad in and of itself. It's just a distraction. It is a distraction, and it hides our sound judgment, and it covers it up, and all of a sudden we are in situations that are a lot more complicated than they were meant to be. We tell this to our children all the time, and I'm sure you have. You know, if you go down this path, it'll be easier. And they want to go down this path, and they want to try this, and they want to try that, and they want to try, and all of a sudden, it gets very complicated because they're juggling things that God never intended them to juggle. Yes? No. Her question was, do I think that many young people are taught this today? And the answer is no. Okay? Um, 
one of the biggest struggles that I have had in studying the book of Proverbs. We live in a relativistic age, and we firmly, firmly, truly believe that you get to make up your truth, and I get to make up my truth. And if it works for you, who am I to argue? And the book of Proverbs looks that attitude in the face and says, you're wrong. There is a truth, and it's God's truth. There is a path of foolishness, and that's probably what you'll come up with on your own. And we have this huge reluctance to look someone, adult or child, in the face and say, the path you're going on is wrong. Now, we may say, well, it doesn't seem very smart or it might not work. But just to categorically say it's wrong is alien to our modern culture. And young people today, well, if you remember um, the book, The Closing of the American Mind, that came out 20 years ago, and he said at the very beginning, if you're a college professor and you're dealing with college students, the one thing you can be assured of is that they do not believe in absolute truth. None of them. It is all relative. And if you tell them that there is an absolute truth, that there is a right and wrong, they will look at you dumbfounded like you just said, one plus one equals three. It makes no sense to them at all. Now, let's let the young people off the hook for just one moment. One little tiny moment. Why do the young people believe that? Because the young people's parents and grandparents abandoned the truth. Okay? The children are products of the world they grew up in. The question is, is why did we let them grow up in that world? But that is the way of this world. It is the way of the world today. Does that answer your question? Unfortunately. Mine too. Right. And even if you do read Proverbs, let's say you're a good parent and you spend four minutes a day reading your Proverbs of the day with your kids. How is that going to compete with four hours of television that is teaching relativism out the wazoo? It's hard. It is very very hard to compete against. We can do it. It has to be done. But it is not easy. Well, believe it or not, we are out of town. We will finish chapter 3 next week. Remember, remember as we leave, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. If we, to tie this to what was just said, if we do not believe that God's way is the right way, then how in the world can we present God's way to an unbelieving world and expect them to pay attention? Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that your wisdom is available to us, that your wisdom is calling out to us, that wisdom wants to be learned, 
by those who are willing to learn it. I pray, Lord, that you would give each of us the desire, the passion to know you more. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.